0: Hey, my name is Brandon Turner, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits.
1: Welcome to the Go Big to Give Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host, Steve Arneson, and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, this episode is a special one for Steve and I as we got to interview the one and only Brandon Turner. Brandon has been a good influence for Steve and I in the real estate investing space as he is the face of the Bigger Pockets real estate investment platform for over a decade, and he has become one of the most well known real estate investors. Brandon has published multiple top selling books. He was the face of the Bigger Pockets podcast and is now running a massive real estate fund that has raised over $150 million in the past few years. In this episode, we talk about transitioning out of the bigger pockets brand and how he is handling living in the spotlight and the importance of building his reputation. He also shares about how a 90-minute massage is the most profitable 90 minutes of his week. And to cap it all off near the end, Brandon shares his four levels of his business mindset and how we need to go bigger so we can do less and give more. This episode is packed full of education. So grab your notepads and pens and listen to the one and only Brandon Turner. All right. Well, we have been waiting a little while for this interview and we could not be more excited to welcome Brandon Turner to the show. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Dudes, this is amazing. Thank you for having me. I Ever since I first heard about the show, I was like, that sounds like an awesome show. Can't wait to do it. So this is a dream come true, fellas. It's going to be fun.
1: We're super excited. Like many people, Steve and I started our real estate career listening to you on the Bigger Pockets podcast and sprinkled in a little bit of the rich dad, poor dad education and some business books. But one thing I want to start asking you about was, you know, love to hear like how you found your turning point. So for a lot of people that's listening to your podcast and having that turning point, but what took you from, you know, real estate's a fun thing to dabble in to, holy crap, I'm actually gifted and smart at this and I could make a passion and career from it. And I'm just going to go all in and double down on it.
0: Yeah, man, good question. So a couple, a couple of things come to mind. I'll tell a couple of quick stories. So first one is very early on. I bought a so I. My very first deal was like a house. I bought it, I sold it, I made a little bit of money, uh, rent out the bedrooms, whatever. That was cool. But then I bought a duplex and I remember it was like two separate units. And I only bought it because it was cheap and it was uh, foreclosure and I needed a place to live. So I bought this cheap little duplex. But I remember my tenant walking over to pay me rent in cash, and it was like six hundred dollars or something like that. 650, I think was rent. And he gives me the 650 in cash, which was a terrible idea. I don't take rent in cash for everybody. But uh, I did, and and I realized that I'm like holding that. Six hundred fifty dollar like wad of money. I'm like, this is more than my entire mortgage payment. I was like, shoot, this is like, I I'm getting I'm living for free in this duplex. Cause I live in one half of it, and the other half I rented out. And I remember just my mind was like blown. Like, this actually works. Like, there's actually money to be made. And then I thought, when, like, the immediate next thought was, well, shoot, if I move out and I rented out my house, now I'm making profit, like significant monthly profit. Uh, and that was kind of like the initial like, whoa this could be a career. And so I got into the, the game, what I call collecting units. It was like people collect cards or they collect, I don't know, sewing machines. I collect rental units. And so yeah. I just started collecting rental units and, uh, yeah, I just picked up a couple here and there and, and it kept going. Uh, but then if we want to jump way forward, the second kind of iteration, Brandon 2.0, you know, I, I, at that point I had 30 or 40, I think I had like 32 rental units. Uh, I quit my like corporate job worked at a bank. I don't know if call it corporate, uh, started doing the bigger pockets podcast with Josh Dorkin. And then that led to, you know, a a decade of awesome, awesome work at bigger pockets. But, uh, In there, I went to this conference, uh, the best ever conference, and it it was called in uh, Denver, Colorado. And I was speaking on stage and I remember having this thought as I'm on stage, looking out at this audience of like, really like high level real estate investors, syndicators, guys who are doing, like they're going big. And I remember thinking, I am the least qualified person to be in this room. Like I, I don't deserve to be here. I have a loud mouth. That's the only reason I'm on stage. I do not deserve to be on stage. And I remember thinking on stage, I want to deserve to be here. Like I wanna, I wanna go big and deserve to be in this room and not be here just because I got lucky to be on a podcast that blew up. Uh, and so I left that uh, with like a changed mindset and went home and built a team. And that's kind of got us to where we are today. So they're kind of like two like major turning points or what I call pivot moments in my life where like my life's going one direction and then it takes a pivot to another direction. And uh, yeah, that's where I've been
2: that's amazing and i think we've all probably followed a lot of your story and i think this question is probably going to be really relatable for you in this moment in time you for a decade have been the face the brand of bigger pockets yeah but you're starting to scale out of it what are some lessons that you've learned along the way of being the face of a company and the transition or pivot point now that you're transitioning a little bit less involved in that business
0: yeah Yeah, you know like i mean i could could talk for hours on on the the transition and what that's been like so yeah i was very much the face of bigger pockets or one of them uh for a long time but when you are such a important piece of your business, no matter what business you are, it becomes very difficult to either sell that business or take on private, you know, private funds or raise money or anything, because it's all on you. You're the key man. Uh, and if something were to happen to you, you're in, in trouble and in bigger pockets. We found ourselves in a position where like, I was just, I mean, I was a lead sales guy on webinars talking about pro memberships. I was the guy in the podcast. I was doing a lot of this stuff and one, it didn't really fulfill me all that much anymore. man. I love the podcast. I could do that all day long, every day, forever. Uh, and webinars even I liked. But I didn't like the being in the meetings and the, and the corporate stuff that came with it. Uh, so we kind of decided, like I kind of decided first, I'm like, this is just, like, I need to transition slower. At the same time, they're like ramping up, uh, trying to do more and more podcasts. And so we kind of came to the idea of, let's, let's take a break. Let me take a break for a while and see if we can get other people to run this thing. And then that break turned into, what if I just, what if I just left uh, and spent time with family and really like pour into my kids when they're young. And, and that is what we've kind of gone to. And guess what? Bigger pockets is doing better than ever. They're, they're having their best quarter ever, like without me there. And it's kind of an ego hit, right? I'm like, Oh, I guess I wasn't that important. But the reality is like, now it's a business like now bigger pockets can scale to where they need to because it's not about one person. And uh there's a great book out there called Built to Sell by, I think, John Wardlow. And he talks about like when you build your business, build it as if you're going to sell it someday. Um, even if you don't sell it, you build it that way. So you have the opportunity to, but it's also just a cleaner business. And so that's what making sure that you're not the key man or the key woman, I think, is just vital in any business is, is build it. Or if you have to do it at the beginning, fine, but try to find ways to get out of that at some point, make your business more scalable.
2: So, can you elaborate a little bit on what some of those key pieces or key lessons are that you've learned along the way about scaling a business?
0: Sure, man. Uh, a couple of things. Number one, it's really tempting to think. Uh, I mean, when I think of my real estate business this way, uh, when I think of Bigger Pockets this way, it's tempting to think like I'm the only one that can do this thing. Um, so, like for the longest time, I in mean, the beginning of Bigger Pockets, it was just me and Josh. Uh, in my real estate, it was just me and my wife uh, for years, um, and so. And I would hire people and they were just terrible. I mean, like I'd hire so many terrible people and I'm like, see, you can't hire people. They aren't gonna do it right. I gotta go do it myself. If you want something done right, you do it yourself. And so I had this mentality for a long time. Uh, What I have learned is that, yeah, that's true. If you're an idiot at hiring and if you can't hire people quickly, and then you can't manage them correctly, and you don't have a system to manage people. Uh, in reality, there's a lot of people that are way smarter than me and way better than me and just put me to shame. I just didn't do the work I needed to, to find those people. Uh, instead, I was just finding like, oh, you know, that guy, has got a pulse. I'll hire him. True story. I went, my very first like hire I ever did was an assistant that I hired. I was like, I just need an assistant. I got a million emails a day coming in. I got all this like scheduling and all this computer stuff with bigger pockets. And I, I got my real estate stuff. I'm going crazy. I need an assistant, so I hire this woman that I know. Uh, mistake number one: I hire this woman because she had a pulse and I love her. But I hired them, and the first day on the job, uh, I set her up with this nice big Mac computer, and uh, you know she sits at her desk that I rented for her in this office I rented for her. And I'm like, okay, so go to your desktop and open up uh, whatever I said. Go open up um, Chrome, and her words like hum- shocked me and still haunt me to this day. She said, "What's a desktop?" And she oh, had no. no idea, she had never owned a computer. And I just hired her as an assistant to work in a digital business. Like, and she didn't know what a desktop was. She didn't know how to use a mouse. She didn't know how to do any of that. She'd never used anything but a phone uh, her entire life. And I, I was like, that's like, what did I do? I hired somebody because they were available and I liked them versus hiring the best person for that job so this is all kind of related together right but the idea of like you can scale a business you can go you can go big and you can have a lot of success if you hire the right people we are all in the people business despite we think we're in the product business or the you know service business no we're in the people business and you hire right people they'll take you there so yeah make sure your assistant can use a computer before hiring them
2: that's a good tip for sure
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean there's a million more i could expand on if you want i can go I can go forever on, on this kind of stuff, but.
2: Well, you, you sparked another question I have here, which, sure. you know, you have, I don't know how many staff are in, you know, all the different verticals yeah. within BP now, but I'm assuming quite a few, um, time it in in one yeah. second, who's one of sure. the best leaders that you've had or looked up mm. to over your lifetime?
0: Yeah so here's this is a business lesson I'll pull back to that and the answer to that question. So Josh Dorkin who started Bigger Pockets. I always say he's the smartest entrepreneur I've ever met. Not because he is like gone to 12 years of business school. Or he's got an M you know MBA or like it's none of that. Like Josh is wicked good I, he's the smartest and best entrepreneur I know because he's stuck with a business for 10 years making almost no money before I came on. So I was like I didn't start Bigger Pockets. He started it by himself in his basement. Uh but of entrepreneurs will start a business and then go for a little while, whether it's a month a six months, a year, two years. And if it's not successful, they give up and go back to whatever they were doing. Josh was like stubborn enough and smart enough to stick with a good idea long enough for it to catch wind. It's like flying a kite. You're running with the kite up in the air and it's just not catching the wind. So you're like, Oh, well, I guess it's not going to fly a kite. I guess I can't fly a kite, but if you just keep running and, and eventually the big gust of wind comes and takes it up. And so Josh, uh, is that guy. And that's the lesson is like, you don't always have success the first week or the first month of the first year. And not every idea is a good idea. And you know, you can bang your head against the wall for eternity with a bad idea. But if you stick with something long enough and you continually improve, uh, you will get somewhere more than anybody else will. And that's what Josh taught me. So Josh is a guy I look up to almost more than anybody else when it comes to entrepreneurship because he just nailed that persistence piece, uh, which most people lack. Do you think that you have that quality? Uh, You know, I think I don't, but here's another lesson. I do not believe that I do, but I hire people and I don't give them the choice. So so in other words, like like (laughs) I personally am not going to go and like, let's go back to the real estate example. In order to land a real estate deal in today's crazy competitive market, you got to make a lot of offers. Like you got to get out there. You got to get a lot of leads that come in. You got to make a lot of offers, right? The same is true if you want to run a roofing business. So you're going to start a software company. You got to get a lot of possibilities coming in. And then you got to make a ton of like presentations and offers. And once in a while, somebody will buy from you or somebody will sell you their property or whatever. Right? So I... I'm terrible at that stuff. I will give up right away. I'll be like, well, I made three offers. It didn't work. I guess I'm going to go back to playing video games. That's my natural inclination. So, but I know that intellectually, like in my head, that if you stick with something long enough and if I made five offers every week for, you know, six months straight, I know I'm going to get a deal. So I hire people to make five offers a week, every single week for six months straight. And guess what? The offers roll in. So I am persistent in my ability to make other people persistent, but in myself, I'm not. And that's probably one of the lessons I learned in, over the last decade. And one of the biggest changes between what I did before and what I've done scaling up open door capital the last few years was that it's rather than fighting against my nature, which is not a nature, like I'm not inwardly super persistent or intelligent or hardworking or any of that. I, so rather than trying to fight against my inner demons, instead, I just overcome them. I work with them. I'm, I use my laziness to get other people to do it and they get it done. And that's that's been the magic.
1: Your self-awareness sounds so just above and beyond. And obviously you've done a lot of uh, inner work on that. And I think that comes with a true entrepreneur. And uh, I just love that, you know, You've said that good entrepreneurs just hire out what they're not good at. And that's something that I think a lot of people can take away and learn from that in that space. I want to shift a little bit and talk to you a little bit about the spotlight. You know, some everyone talks about wanting to become successful and be a public figure and get on stages and speak. But that comes with pressure and everyone seeing your success and seeing you grow What have you done to handle that pressure and make any adjustments in your life so that you're able to deal with people constantly watching what you're doing with a microscope and always being a limelight face, especially in the real estate world?
0: Yeah, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. That's a great question. Um, A couple of things come to mind. First of all, yeah, I I do feel like I'm watched a lot. I mean, like I I joke with my wife, but it's not even a joke. It's like when I'm in public, I can't pick my nose because I know somebody's probably looking at me that knows me. So that gets, that gets a little bit funny. Um, like I'll get messages like, yeah, I saw you at Starbucks the other day, but I, I didn't want to come talk to you. Cause I figured you were busy. And I'm like, you were watching me probably for like five minutes, whatever I did. They're just probably watching me going, Oh, that's the guy from the podcast. Uh, but in reality, when it comes to like the business stuff, like it, it's a, it's like the classic Spider-Man line, right? Like uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Like, I know that there are a lot of people watching what I do and then just repeating what I do, like taking the stuff that I say. So, I take that very seriously, in that, like, I have to make sure that what I'm saying actually works and that it's work, like, I'm doing it uh, and that I can back that up. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody, but I-, I take it with a lot of, um, seriousness that like people are doing what I say Uh, and so I put a lot of thought into making sure that I'm not being too stupid with what I say and that the stuff actually works uh secondly like we like I feel like I have to do a better job um at getting deals and making sure the numbers work because it is gonna be humiliating if this doesn't work. I mean, I bought a hundred, about a few hundred million dollars of real estate in the past couple of years, raised money from over a thousand accredited investors. There's a lot of people that are depending on me to give them a return right now. It has to work. So like, I can't screw that up. I, I mean, I'll give you an example, um, it just happened. Uh, we got a message from our CPA saying, hey, there was a mistake. And it's not my CPA's fault, it's, it's not, my team's fault. Really, it's like my fault for not making sure this whole thing was done correctly. But there was basically an eighty thousand dollars mistake on the tax returns we sent out for all our investors. Like we basically, like, it's going to cost either me eighty thousand dollars or all my investors from my early deals are going to have to go and amend their tax returns, and and it's just a mess. Now they should do. I mean, like, like they we should have done the tax returns right. They would have paid their own taxes, or whatever. But instead, I had a choice. Do I make my investors? Uh, amend their tax returns and admit that we screwed up? Or do I just eat the $80,000 cost out of my pocket and say, well, you know, we screwed up. And even though they're supposed to pay the 80,000 on their taxes, I'm going to pay it on mine. Cause I don't want to look like an idiot. Uh, the middle ground, what we decided is like, yeah, I'm going to eat the cost because my reputation matters more than $80,000. Right. I, I don't want my investors knowing that I screwed up at the same time. I'm going to let them know that I screwed up. Like we're very vocal about it. Hey, we should have done this differently. And we didn't. However, we're going to eat it because that's the reputation we want to have is we're not perfect, but uh, if something goes wrong, we're going to make sure that we make it right. Uh, and that reputation is the most important thing there. So when people look at us, I want to lead by example in that. Um, it's so and how does this apply to a newer business owner? Right. Like this year, you're setting a business, whether it's a real estate thing or something else. And okay, you underbid a job. You say you're going to do it for this much money for ten thousand. Really cost you twelve thousand. And you go back and you know renegotiate, retrade, whatever you want to call it, uh, and it hurts your reputation. But at least you'll be made right because that's you know you don't want to lose money, or you can eat it because your reputation matters more. Uh, and I would encourage people every time, if at all possible, eat it, save the reputation, and you can let people know that you ate it. You know, might as well get some mileage out of your uh, mistake. But yeah, yeah.
1: That's so cool. And, uh, I can relate a lot. One thing my dad always preached to me was always to build your reputation, not your Mm. bank account. Yeah, And and that's just stuck with me from the day. And that's what Steve and I've built our business as well. And very similar to yourself, we've made some mistakes. And sometimes you just have to bite the bullet, but also be transparent about it. So many people bite the bullet, but try not to, they try and look perfect. They try and not make mistakes. And so it's incredible to hear someone of your stature still have that same mindset, even as you grow your business to sit there and say, you know what, we're successful. We've got all this going on, and, and eating that mistake could hurt you. But at the same time, it could also make you real. And yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people can uh, respect and appreciate with. And we found in our business, as we share our mistakes with our investors and how we're cleaning it up, how we're addressing it, and how we're moving with it, it actually builds more uh, trust with them to keep them coming back. So even though we might not be delivering 100% the trust factor continues to grow. It's,
0: it's huge. Yeah. You know, going back to Josh real quick and Josh Dorkin who started bigger pockets, the other, one of the biggest lessons I learned from him. So when I first like started working with him, we started doing the podcast together and I started helping kind of around the site and, and I looked, all he was doing was doing like Google ads basically he had a donate button on bigger pockets and was getting Google ads. Like he was making no money, hardly at all. I mean, the only way he afforded to pay me anything at the beginning was cause he had a conference and made like 40 grand. He's like, all right, Brandon, I'll give you 40 grand for the first year. Cause that's all I have. Uh, but, and so I used to give him a hard time at that beginning. I'm like, dude, we should be charging like all this money. Look at the guys out there. They're charging 30,000 for coaching. Why don't we do that? And Josh was always insistent. If you build your tribe, you can monetize later and ethically later. Um, in other words, if you get lots and lots of people to know, like, and trust you, you can get the money later. You can sell something later. He just understood that concept better than anybody else I've ever known. And so then, so we did, like we didn't hardly charge anything. Now we have a pro membership at BP and they've got tens of thousands of people paying a good amount of money. And the company's doing very well because they built a reputation of millions of people would know, like, and trust them. Had we just gone and launched some big coaching program right away, like we maybe would have never scaled to that level. Now apply that to Open Door Capital. Now I've raised 150, give or take, million dollars over the past year or two. Like just an absurd amount of money. And when people look at that, they're like, that's crazy. Yeah, but I spent 10 years without raising a penny and just building a reputation. I spent 10 years on reputation. Uh, it's like Gary Vanerchuk's book, um, Jab, 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 uh, Right Hook. The idea If you give, 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 then when you need something, you have the right to ask for it. So then all of a sudden like, hey, you've seen me for 10 years, give. Now I need something. I got money to raise, and and people like like I said, 150 some million dollars uh, raised just because of that. So build the reputation first. I love that you said that. Like focus on your reputation, uh, not your bank account, and the bank account will follow.
2: Couldn't agree more. And I was wondering if the 150 million dollars raised plus, does that ever weigh on your conscience at all? Yeah. How do you deal <laughs> no. with it?
0: uh it's not so much my conscience it's like it's not like an ethical thing as much as it is like a gravity of like like i said earlier like oh shoot this has to work (laughs) like this has to go uh but at the same time i had a buddy once gave me a really good piece of advice he said brandon don't be afraid of zeros and commas and i was like because like uh, here's what we do at opened our capital i'll explain we buy a property for i'm gonna give you we buy a property for a hundred thousand dollars Right, Then we go and fix it up for, let's just call it $10,000. So we buy it for 100,000, we put 10,000 in, and now it's actually worth like $130,000. Over time, the value goes up to maybe worth 150,000. So that makes, like for everyone who's not real estate, that's what we're doing, we're buying a property, we're fixing it up a little bit, it goes up in value a little bit, and then we all share in the profits, except for we're not doing $100,000 properties, we're doing $100 million properties. It's the same game. It's exactly the same game. it's so like, we had some zeros, we had some commas. There's a few more conversations with attorneys, but it's the same game. So the same way, like when I first got into real estate, I was afraid of a $100,000 deal is how I felt when I did my, you know, when I did a hundred million dollar, you know, portfolio, which is what we're working on right now. It's the same thing, just commas and zeros. Uh, but the game itself is exactly the same. So I don't, yeah, I, I don't feel scared. I just feel like I got a lot of people depending on me now, I can't screw this up.
2: You stay accountable and motivate every single day, right? It does. It
0: really does. Like this, this has to work. Like it has to work. I mean, there's things that could go wrong with it out of my control, but like the economy could completely tank. And, you know, the government says no more rent for five years. Like that would hurt. Uh, But as far as it's in our control, like it, like it it will work because I'll make it work. If I have to work a thousand hours a week and hire all the people in the world and spend all my money making it work, it's going to work as long as I, it depends on me.
2: Brandon, I know you've been working hard at, at slowing down. You just, basically traveled the world, uh, with family to spend more time with them. How has the exercise and practice of uh, slowing down changed the way you attack business and life today?
0: Yeah, a couple of thoughts. So first of all, yeah, the slowdown thing was very deliberate. Uh, In fact, I just, I was looking through my Evernote. I was on the plane ride back to Maui and I use Evernote for everything. And uh, I had no internet, but I had my Evernote. I'm pulling up, just looking at all my old notes. And I found one from like a year ago that said goals by the end of the year. And I don't even remember writing this, but Golden end of the Year, and it was like step down from the podcast, uh, you know, like uh, step down from the podcast, stop doing the webinars, stop doing this, stop doing that, and start sp- traveling with the family more. Start spending deliberate time each week with my kids. And I was just looking at it like I don't even remember writing this, but I did it. So it was very deliberate uh, that that I was looking to slow down because it just got, it got a little crazy. You know, the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan has this great story in there. Um, actually, two great stories kind of mine, both from that book. Uh, one of them is he says that work-life balance doesn't exist. It's work-life balance scene. It's a verb. It's something that we continually do. So there was a season where I worked a ton of hours between Open Door Capital and uh, uh, Bigger Pockets, and uh, you know, Open Door Properties. This is my small management company, and now Open, which is my large management company, and the Beardy Brew Coffee that I have, and all that stuff. It was taking a ton of hours, and I swung back hard on a pendulum the other way. The last 92 days on the road, I maybe did an hour of work each week, maybe two, if I had to do a phone call with my team. Uh, there will come a time, in fact, like this week, I'm swinging back this way. And I think that's the key, right? It's the swinging back and forth. Now the other story that comes to mind from that book is they tell the story of juggling, uh, you have some, you have some balls and you're juggling these balls and one of those is like fitness your, your health one of them is your work your career one's your finances one's your family you know one's your your fun your entertainment stuff you're juggling these balls and that's what they say some balls are rubber some are glass you know if you drop the career the money one for a little bit it'll bounce back you'll get that back if something slows down there if you drop your family a ball that's glass; it'll shatter. Uh, there's no getting that back. Um, you know, people are looking like, "Yeah, I'll spend more time with my kids once my this business is secure." Well, pretty soon your kids are graduated from college or high school; they're out of the house. You don't get that time back. That ball shattered, uh, and so that weighs very heavily on me. That like I will not be uh, an unpresent parent. In you know, like I, I will be there uh, for my kids. In fact, when I was 21 and I first got into real estate investing and the idea of entrepreneurship and business. The reason I did it, I said to myself then, and I still said now, is so that I could be at my kids' um, like ball games, that I could go to my kids' dance for. So I didn't even have kids. I just knew that someday I would be at every event for them. And it's easy in entrepreneurship to just get so caught up working because it's fun, it's a game. That the whole reason you got into it, you just you don't even take advantage of the fact that you have that freedom. So anyway, I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm I'm bouncing back hard, and I'll continue to swing back and forth.
1: I think that's incredible. And that's something that Steve and I have always said from day one is why we're starting our business and continually remind ourselves of that's the future. And even though we don't have kids right now, that's something we talk consistently about. And that's a good transition to my next question, which is uh, self-development plays a role in every entrepreneur and anyone that's starting a business. If you haven't started it, that's the biggest thing you'll have to do. I think it's like, you know, you go through a self-development course to learn how to actually build a business because you have to be so aware of yourself. What have you done that has been one of the biggest game changers for you in understanding your self-awareness so you can perform better?
0: Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, uh, first of all, I'm also with the coaching side. So I, hire a, I hired a performance coach good five years ago, uh, or six years ago, maybe now. His name is Jason Dorees. I still use him today. We still talk every other week. Uh, that has been phenomenal. Uh, it's not that, I mean, Jason's wicked smart. I love the guy. He's, he's very blessed and, and, and gifted. But what what matters is taking time every week or every other week out of being in my life to work on my life. And that is something most of the world, I believe, spends their entire life in their life and not on their life. And so just taking those brief moments out of my life and for somebody to ask me smart questions. Jason rarely offers me advice. He just asks questions. Like, well, is that the only way to think about that? Or are you just, you know, is that just a belief you had from when you were younger? Hey, is that Brandon 1.0 or is that Brandon 2.0? Like, you know, these little questions that make me go, hmm, like, are you thinking of that the way that you, like that in, in the mentality of the person you want to become? Or are you thinking about the mentality of the person that you were? And, and those questions have changed my life in so many ways and they continue to change my life. So that's a big piece of it. Uh, secondly, very closely related to it. The idea of working on your life is over the last couple of years, I started instituting, um, massages, like an actual massage therapist that comes to my house. And I got like some stupid front porch that overlooks the ocean. Now uh, it, it's completely ridiculous and I don't deserve it at all, but it's, it's there. So like this, the mas- masseuse from like the four seasons hotel or whatever, some fancy hotel comes over and I do a 90 minute massage. And that I like to say is the most profitable hour and a half of my week. I make more money from that massage than from any other activity that I do. That sounds ridiculous, right? Like I'm just sitting there getting, you know, my back rubbed. It's because that's the time I get to work on me. Like I'm, my mind's just spinning through a million things and it starts to focus in on something. And like the last like 40 minutes of that massage, is just game changing. Every time I walk out with a pad of paper, I literally leave a pad of paper under my massage table and a pen. And I'm like, I have a list of like 20 things. And like, I wanna calm my mind down, but I don't use massages for that. Now you could go sit at the beach and do the same thing. You go sit in a car and do the same thing. Uh, But what I find to go back to like, I have to work with my nature, not against my nature, is that I will not take time to work on myself. I will not do it. I mean, I won't even take time to go to the gym. Like I just don't do it. I know I should. I don't do it. I do not have the self control to do it. I could fight that, or I can hack it. And what I mean by that, by hacking it is I find a way to make it happen against my nature. So what I do is I have a masseuse that shows up at my house. I have no choice. She's in my driveway. Like I'm good, I'm gonna do it, right? I have a, a, a call I schedule with my coach Jason. I have no choice. He's waiting for my phone call, and he'll call me and harass me if I don't if I if I don't call him on our coaching call. Um, those are ways that I work against my, or, you know, with my, with my nature to make sure that those self-development times get done and that I'm working on my life and not just in it.
2: Man, that is beautiful. Was there a question that is really sitting on your mind today that you're meditating on, or that's really (laughs) Uh I
0: actually have a massage like an hour from now. Once I get done with this call uh, (laughs) and I know what I, well, here's what's funny. A lot of times I go into a massage thinking, this is the topic I'm going to think about today. And it's not actually what I spend my time on. Um, I, lately, I've been calling it like, this sounds sounds weird. I need a better name for it. But I call it like twister time. What I mean by that is, um, think of a tornado, like swirling around all my thoughts in my head. There's a million things going on. It's like, you know, like, oh, did you take, you know, did you, I take the dog out and, and oh, I don't, I, my wife looked at me funny earlier and, uh, I, you know, my I got to raise a hundred million dollars or whatever, like everything's swirling around in there. And it, the longer I sit there in silence and bored, like, you know, relative boredom, the more that those thoughts start to like, want, like tighten and get smaller and smaller until they focus on one specific thing. And that's that last like 40 minutes of a massage. The same principle applies if you've ever been on an airplane and you realize like, you're not gonna have Wi-Fi in the airplane and you shoot your your computer died or something like that. And you're just like sitting there, you're bored to death for like an hour, but then you start to think about something. Running, same way. First hour of a run, I'm just bored to death running if I don't listen to music. The last little bit though, oh, it's glorious. I mean, I got to raise... 50 million dollars in the next two months from based on deals we have right now uh that's by far the biggest stretch of anything i've ever done so i'm like how do i raise 50 million dollars in like two months like that's insane like i don't know i don't have the answer to that right now so i think that's what i'm going to be thinking about when i get into the massage today but it, I, I don't know where my my monkey mind's going to go we'll see
2: interesting Have a brainstorm around that because that's what we do for lumen as well but yeah um Transitioning a little bit to the giving side of the sure. show here. When I think about givers, you're actually one of the first people that I think about.
0: Yeah, oh, thanks, man.
2: Of course, it's it's not because you're Bezos giving away billions or, or Musk trying to get to the moon <laughs> or anything like that or get to Mars, but it's because you've given me and thousands of other people the inspiration to believe in myself and to pursue real estate and the financial freedom that can come from that.
0: Well, thanks. Yeah, I think... Uh... I mean, don't get me wrong. I make a lot of money off of a book sales and <laughs> and uh, from what I did at Bigger Pockets. But uh, I do think you bring up a good point: is that a lot of people consider giving to be a it's about money only. Uh, but I think giving of time is just as valuable, if not more valuable, in a lot of cases. Uh, and so I I've relied heavily on that. I mean, I try to give a lot of money as well uh, and other things. But yeah, giving of the time and the knowledge that we have. I mean, everybody's everybody is a genius to somebody else. Like there's that great quote, like in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Like you are a rock star to somebody. Like you are a complete rock star to somebody. So helping that person that you're a rock star to, uh, one, it makes you way better. I mean, the reason I'm good at talking on a podcast or at a webinar setting where I can, you can just give me a topic. I could probably ramble for an hour on anything. It's, it's because I have been doing this for 10 years, helping people. So you get better at it by helping other people and by explaining your thoughts. In fact, one of the best ways to remember something is to teach somebody else. Right. So uh, or I actually read this study once that talked about when you're reading a book. The best way to remember it is not to necessarily teach it. It's to think you're going to have to teach it later. So anytime I read a book, the reason that I remember almost every lesson from every book I've ever read is because I always assume I'm going to have to teach or I'm going to teach this on a webinar later. I'm going to teach this on a podcast later. And so your brain will f- remember those things better. So anyway, yeah, that's what I'm going to give back.
2: One of my mentors said that your success is somebody else's miracle mm, because of that yeah. exact same thing, right? But that's the question great I wanted to ask you out of that was uh you know from all these this thousands and thousands of people that you've been able to inspire and and i'm sure many of them have been able to create their own element of you know financial freedom or you know change their life tree etc but what has um that profound positive impact on people done for
0: you mm. uh it's giving me a big head no it's just getting uh, <laughs> a big beard you know yeah yeah big beard yeah no um it's, it's been crazy. I mean, it's crazy the number of stories I hear, you know, people like, yeah, you know, like the phrase, like, it sounds so cliche, right. But you changed my life. Uh, I always argue against that. Like I, I'm one guy of thousands online who give advice about real estate uh, and millions of people listen to that stuff and very few take action on it. So first of all, anybody who's listened to this, that thinks I changed their life, just know that like, there's a million other people who didn't take action, which means I didn't do anything. Because if, if the words I said changed lives, then everyone's life will be changed. But in reality, it's you change your own life, right? Uh, so I keep that in mind to kind of keep, one, to keep the ego in check. Like, it's not me. It's, um, you know, people like to flatter. Uh, but also, like I said, it really, like the more that I help people through education, just the better I get at real estate. Like, I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp on real estate because I've helped people with real estate. And, and so I don't know if that answers the question, but it's just been... I've become such a better investor because of the education side and because of teaching people that, uh, yeah, I just don't think I could have ever got from a book.
1: That's beautiful. before we hopped on this episode, you shared with us a little bit about what you said of, you know, you need to go big so yeah. you can, so you can be less, so you can actually give more. And I'd yeah. love for you to break that down for a little bit and share about how you've added some giving into your businesses and what's that, what's that doing for you mentally to stimulate you to, to continue to do more, but be less.
0: Sure. Yeah. Uh, first, I'll explain what I mean by that. And then I got a couple of fun stories I can share. Uh, so when people are in a business, most people operate from a, even if they're, it's their own business. I mean, if your job or your own business, most people operate uh, at a level, which is the money you earn is directly correlated to the hours you work. So if you work 40 hours a week and you're making a hundred dollars an hour, you're making what? $4,000 a week. If you worked 80 hours a week, you're now making $8,000, right? That, that's most people, even if you're an entrepreneur, most pe- business owners operate on that level. The problem with that is that if you want to have more free time to donate your, hour, you know, donate your time or to do what, what I believe is my number one calling in this life is to raise good children. Like my kids are my most important thing. So I, there, there's a great quote out there that says, kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Like one of my buddies has that tattooed on his arm. Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Uh, another great uh, quote I heard um, is like, was the opposite of love is hurry. And it, what he meant by that is like, you, can't, like, you cannot love in a hurry. The faster you try to approach something, the less love you give to it. Um, it's like, I love my kids, but I'm gonna rush, rush out the door as fast as I can. It just decreases love. So on that note, if you want to give more of your time uh, of your intention to something, you there's this problem with, well, I need to make more, which means I got to work more hours, but now I have less time and I can't give. So it's like this dichotomy or this like opposite. How do we get over that? How can we, how can we make more money, but work less? Cause if I, how does that work? And I would say 95% of the world cannot answer that question. How can I, maybe 98%, like it doesn't make sense to them. They're on a different mindset level. So the truth is in order to work less without having to uh, affect your income dramatically, you have to go bigger. That's that's simply the answer. And so here's what I lay out. I lay out this like basically four mindsets when it comes to entrepreneurship or leadership or business. Let me list them real quick. I mean, I could spend hours talking about this. I'll probably write a book on it, but here's the quick and dirty. There's four approaches. Approach number one. If you have a pen, if you're listening to this right now, grab a pen and write this down because I, I think if somebody would have taught me this stuff when I was starting, it would have changed my life. I'd be worth so much more money today. Uh, it'd be crazy and I'd have so much more free time. All right. Level number one DIY. This mindset approaches problems or approaches business saying, What do I need to do? So let's use an example of you want to start a a carpet laying business. You think carpet's the future. You want to start a business that lays carpet. Um, Okay. Good for you. So this, the DIY mentality, the DIY mindset goes, okay, well, I need to get a carpet layer. I need to get a knee knee kicker. Uh, I need to figure out the best place to buy carpet from. I'm going to have to figure out how to get some uh, customers. Uh, I'm going to have to do that. The DIY just approaches that. 90% of all businesses out there, like, like small businesses, are really just a DIY business mindset. That's all they do. is like, they're good at baking a cake. They open a bakery and then they just work all day and then they bake cake. And if they want to make more money, they put in more hours at their DIY. That's level one. Nothing necessarily wrong with it. If you love what you're and you love baking cakes and you love the income you're at and you love the number of hours you're working, great. Be fulfilled, have, have at it. Uh, but something tells me that you don't want to stay there forever. The next level, I call the C, uh, sorry, sorry, it's a pro- project manager, PM, project manager level. That level is where people say, you know what? I don't like baking a cake all day, or I don't like kicking carpet and stretching it across the room. It hurts my knee. So I'm going to hire that individual key task to a third party or to an employee. Right. So, you know, I own this bakery and I'm tired of baking every day. I'll bring in, you know, my cousin John, who's really good at baking cupcakes. I'll come, I'll, I'll have him show up and bake the cupcakes, but I'm still running everything. That's project manager level. Nothing wrong with it. If you love managing, A person or two or three, great, nothing wrong with that. For me, I hate that, I hate doing that. Uh, Level three, I call the COO level, which is like, I run a business, right? I wanna start a carpet lane business. I'm gonna hire one sales guy, I'm gonna hire three installers, I'm gonna hire one admin, I'm gonna hire a blah, 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 and I'm gonna run this crew. Like, I'm gonna run this whole team. I'm in the COO or I'm the CEO or whatever. I'm in charge of the company and everybody around me It's kind of around me in the circle. If you can visualize it, you're in the middle and around you are all these little people and you're managing each one of them. You're saying, I'm gonna set meetings with them. I'm gonna hold them accountable. And again, nothing wrong with a COO level. In fact, there's a lot of freedom once you get there because if you wanna go golfing for the afternoon, you can do that because your business is not tied necessarily to the hours put in. Uh, So the COO level is is a fun level that I'd encourage everyone to try to get to. The fourth level though is really fascinating. And that's one that very few ever get to. I call it the architect, not like I'm a job house plans architect, but more like the matrix architect, like the guy who invented the matrix in the movies is called the architect. It's like you are like the vision of the business. You are inspiring people. You're laying down the vision. You're bringing energy to it. But that's about it. You see, the architect's job is to manage one person, which is the COO. That's really it, or CEO, however you want to label it. Like they manage one person, that person runs the team. Uh, An example of a a great architect would be Elon Musk, right? Um, uh, Richard Branson, phenomenal. uh, I mean, Richard Branson has 150 companies under him, right? He doesn't run 150 companies. He's the visionary of 150 companies and he, he brings the energy and maybe some of the money and the, and the connections, but that's about it. So anyway, the reason I bring this up is that the higher level you go there, and I know I'm going a long time on this, but this is like the one thing I wish people could learn. The higher you go on that mindset level, the fewer hours you work and the more money you make. So if you're struggling at a job where you're like, or at a business where you're like, I'm just working so many bloody hours. And I want to work less hours, but I don't want my income to suffer. All you have to do is raise your mindset to the next level up and you're going to be working less and you're going to be making more. It just gets better and better and better. And so two final points on that, and then I'll, I'll wrap that thought process up is number one, it doesn't matter what level you're at if you're happy there, but understand that every level has a limit. You're not going to go and install 400 carpets and make $5 million a year. If you're a DIYer, you're not going to do it. You just cannot fit it in. But if you're a COO or an architect, you definitely could. Uh, So every level has a limit. Uh, And the the second point is this. You choose where you start. You choose. Like most people start a DIY. They move up eventually to PM. They eventually move up to the COO. And if they're, you know, someday down the road, maybe they get to an architect role where they just kind of like sit back and let the company run. But. You don't have to work. You don't have to go through all the mindsets. You could literally just start it tomorrow like a COO. You could just go hire a whole team. Now it costs some money that way. And there's a little bit of risk there. Uh, But understand that you can choose where you start. And so if you want to have ample time to give back to your family, to give back to your community, to volunteer, and be able to scale your income to crazy amounts that you can give away later, you've got to elevate your mindset. And when you do, it is such a beautiful thing.
2: Dude, that was absolutely epic <laughs> Thanks. for everybody listening right now. Rewind those few minutes and re-listen to that because those four levels of business mindsets will change your future guaranteed. Like I'm sitting here thinking I'm like, I'm best in the COO position right now. Yeah. Randy's best in that architect position. Yep. And my mind's just going bananas on how we can just it's going to change our business dude just just listening to this thank you
0: that's awesome yeah yeah so anyway that pull point is i am like i've like, not always done this right and sometimes i even start businesses now where i'm not in the architect role but i'd opened our capital the most successful business i've ever really built uh, like I, I started it as an architect. I've never worked in that business from day one. I hired my first guy. I hired Ryan Murdoch. I'm like, go build this business. And like, we talk all the time about it, but like he, he did it. Like I didn't even have to do it. And then he kind of stepped back to more of an architect role too. And we hired another guy to run it like Walker Meadows. who was amazing. And so like, I'm involved. I call myself, I'm on the board, but I don't have to work 40 hours a week at it. And so now I'm able to give back to my family, give back to my community and all that. So one more quick story. I don't even know where this fits in, but I thought it was a cool story. I just thought of about giving back if I could share it real quick. Yeah, bring um, it, absolutely. It's just another example of why I love this idea of like, especially real estate investing, but any business could be made passive. So I'll just say passive income in general. So I'm, I'm like 27 years old and I'm not now, I'm 36 right now, but I was a like 27 years old and uh, I'd, I'd quit my job and I, uh, or was, I think I was in, I was in, the middle of trying to quit my job, I worked at a bank at the time, and uh, I go to a, I go to a little tiny. I went to a little tiny country church, not very big, had maybe a hundred people there. But the, at the church, they had a youth leader who helped a lot of kids and hung around with all the teenagers and helped them get through a lot of crap. And there was a lot of crap in that school district. Uh, And they had like a a music leader who led all the music at the church. And they had like a leader of the church, like The pastor, if you're in the, if you're in the Christian faith, you don't get all those terms, right? You have these people. Well, the church had a crisis, like basically the pastor and the youth pastor um, and the music person all left within like a, I don't know, a week period. Like they had like a, basically left, the church was falling apart. And uh, at the same time, or well, I should say, six months earlier or so, I had met a couple at church. This old couple there, and I mentioned that I really like the idea of buying an apartment complex. And they actually sold me their apartment complex from some random like, random mention uh, at a church. Like just meeting these people at church, they sold me their apartment complex. Uh, and in fact, they did it for really no money out of pocket. I spent almost nothing out of pocket to buy this thing. It was very cool. And so now, fast forward to six months later, the whole church starts to fall apart, and all the leadership leaves but guess what? I didn't have a job anymore. I was basically like semi-retired because I just bought this apartment complex, which gave me thousands of dollars a month in passive income. So now I could step in and I ended up becoming the youth leader there for like seven years. And every single week for seven years, every Wednesday night for free, just volunteer, I'd go and hang out with these kids, these middle schoolers who had some of the worst like stories and lives imaginable. I mean, in fact, I just the other day found out one of the kids in in that group, like uncle, hit her in the face with a two by four recently, and like just shattered her whole jaw. Like, like this is like the type of like blue collar like families that made up a lot of those kids, and I got to walk with those kids through life and through that journey. Why? Because I went bigger and had the freedom to be able to give back versus most people who had a full time job couldn't think about adding on that workload to their life. So I guess what I'm trying to say is this, trying to build wealth is not about trying to collect money. Uh, It's not about getting richer. I don't care if I'm the, I'm like, I'm not going to be the richest guy in the graveyard. I want to die broke. That's one of my goals in life. I write that all the time, die broke. Uh, My kids aren't going to inherit all my wealth. In fact, they probably will get very, very, very little, if any of my wealth. Uh, The point of what I'm doing in growing bigger and bigger, bigger is to be able to give away a whole lot more. Uh, I'm a firm believer that now, whether you're you're a a person of faith or not, I'm like, I'll say this, I'm a firm believer that God instills certain people with the ability to make money. That's just a skill. We, have uh, some people suck at it w- warren buffett once said i could have been really good at being a school teacher i just happen to be good at stocks um i just happened to be good at business and real estate i believe that's for a reason uh and it's not to make myself the best gravestone in the uh, in the graveyard
2: and that's the the amount of experiences that you would have gotten out of that and one of the lives you could possibly change just by having that independence is incredible yeah
0: thanks man yeah it's it's a uh, yeah, having that financial freedom is so important if you want to spend time giving back to your community, to your family, whatever. So I don't care what, what avenue you, you pursue financial freedom in, but pursue it because it opens up so many options for you.
2: We're going to transition a little bit and we're going to wrap up here fairly quickly. But um, just, I guess, kind of shortly brag on yourself and, for a minute and tell us about one of your favorite times of giving that when you think back to today still gives you goosebumps. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's, it's always awkward to talk about giving, right? Because like, you know, I, I'm a big, I'm a big believer of like the whole, like, I think it's somewhere in the Bible it talks about like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing uh, when you're giving. Uh, at the same time, I think there's a lot of value in talking about what we do as wealthier givers, because it inspires more people to give. So it's a whatever. So I'll give a couple examples. Um so like recently, uh, I called up actually the pastor of that church I used to attend back when I lived in another state, I moved to Hawaii a few years ago, but I called him up and I just asked him uh, right before Christmas I said Do you have, can you give me a list of a few people that are in desperate need of money right now like they're just having a really hard time this Christmas season. And so he shot me over the names and addresses of well names and addresses, but I ended up I don't I didn't know how to get them the money, so I gave the money to anonymously. So anyway, he gave me the list of people, and then I sent each of them five thousand dollars, but did it through uh, my buddy who was the pastor of that church now, uh, so that nobody would know. So to this day, uh, those people have no idea who sent them five thousand bucks, but a bunch of people at Christmas time got five thousand uh, dollars. The the reason that story strikes like makes me feel happy is because I think back to times in my life where people just like randomly blessed me uh, with like, Hey, here's a hundred bucks. Or here's, you know, even this, here's this job I'm going to hire you to do when I was younger and broke. Um, I remember one of my buddies once said that he, when he was real young, he was in his er, er, late teens, early twenties, had just gotten married, had a little baby at home and they were just broke, 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 like could not put food on the table kind of broke. And they came home one day from somewhere they were at from work and somebody had broken to their house. But instead of stealing something, they broke into their house like nicely and they filled every cupboard they had with food, just stocked it full of food, uh, fridge full, cupboards full, just complete. And to this day, I mean, this is 20 years ago, that friend still has no idea who did it. And that story, I mean, right now I get chills just telling that story. I'm like, I want to break into someone's house and put food in their cupboard, you know, hypothetically speaking or whatever, I'm not gonna break in, but like, that's what I wanna do for people is like fill their cupboards with groceries uh, and have them have no idea because that just instills so much faith in humanity uh, for that person who received that. And then they're gonna go around and do it to somebody else.
1: That is one of the coolest stories of giving I've ever heard. And something that I think everyone can aspire to be. Wrapping up here, we're gonna jump right into our giving round. Short, okay. sweet answers. Uh, we're gonna fly. Impossible, man! Impossible. Hey. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got this. Brag on one charity that you like right now.
0: Ooh, Vertical Sports Maui. They're a uh, a Maui-based uh, charity that does like sports camps. They bring in like professional athletes. They bring them in and they teach hundreds of kids like sports, like skills, while also just like pouring into these kids. It's such a cool uh, organization. Yeah, Vertical cool. Sports Maui.
2: So awesome. We're big sport enthusiasts as well. Mm, One of our favorite charities is a local one here in Victoria because we think it builds so much like life character.
0: So much. Yeah. Yeah. So much character from sports. Yeah.
2: What gets you more excited donating a million dollar check or spending a week physically helping people?
0: I actually think it's a million dollar check for me. Um, Yeah. I I love, I love like the whole, like go out there and help somebody uh, like physically. And I should do more of that, but Yeah, I love to see that. Like, oh, I'm making money in business. I'm going to pour it. Like, I'm going to go and make a massive impact uh, financially.
1: Very cool. Who inspires you with their giving?
0: Mm, Who inspires me with their giving? Uh, You know, I'll I'll say this. There's that same guy I mentioned earlier. The one that I said um, had the groceries put into their house. And probably because of having the groceries put in their house, like that family doesn't make a ton of money, but they give in such amazing ways. I mean, they even have like a person, like they have a person, a single mom and the single mom's kid living with them right now in this small house, uh, taking care of them because of some just terrible trauma that that person went through Um, it. And they, they don't ask anything in return. Nobody even hardly knows that they're doing it, you know? And they just, they just give and give and give despite not having anything. There's a there's a passage in uh, somewhere in the Bible that talks about um, there's like the religious rulers who are like throwing lots and lots of money saying, Look how much money I'm giving. And then there's like the poor widow who has like a dollar and she puts her whole dollar in. And I think Jesus says something like, Who gave more? Was it the religious leaders who are like, Look how much money I'm giving, because I'm such a big deal, or is it the person who put everything? And he says it's the person who put everything. Uh, And I think there's such such power in that idea of of if you're rich and you give a bunch of money, that's great. But if you don't have a lot of money you're giving, mm, that's beautiful.
2: All right, perfect. So do you think that businesses should start giving from day one or wait until they have some money and some success?
0: Man, that's a... That's a long answer to that question. I'll give a short one. I think they should give it right away. Um, I think they should give it right away because I believe, and that's not just business, but people, I think giving is a mindset. It is not a number. And so if you can't tie or give money on, you make a hundred dollars, you can't give 10 of it away. Uh, when you make a million, you're not going to give a hundred thousand away. I think you have to become a person who is generous. And I mean, there's scientific studies that show like the more you give, the more you tend to make. Uh, you know, shocking every religion at all time has said the same thing, but now we're finding that's true, like from a scientific standpoint.
1: Very cool. When you hear go big to give big, what does it mean to you?
0: Do you remember earlier? I said, uh, I gave that example. If in real estate, we buy a hundred thousand dollar property or example, I said a hundred million, right? So you buy a hundred million dollar property. I'm going to answer your question. This is related to it. You put in $10 million worth of work and now it's worth 130 million over time. It goes to 150 million. So what, what just happened there? Oh, by the way, over time, the loan gets paid down also. Right? So in reality, Mike, this is what my company does. We're going to make on that, let's say one deal. That's a hundred million dollars. We're going to generate $50 million of profit. So when I think go, go big to give big, I think, what if we took just one of those deals and gave all of that money to charity? One simple apartment, we do 30 deals a year. What if one of them a year goes to charity? could we literally give someday $50 million a year away to charity? And it doesn't even take that much work because we're doing it anyway on so many other deals. Like that is what going big. Cause once you uh, go big, you have the ability to generate massive profits because you're good at generating profits that you can give away to charity. So that's what I think of is like, could that be possible? It's something I'm working on right now. That idea.
2: Dude. I love it. In one single word, describe the feeling you get when you give.
0: Mm. The word that came to mind was gratitude, which sounds opposite, right? But I, I'm grateful for the giving that I've received or uh, that I've received when I give to other people. I'm like, man, I sure I'm lucky. So gratitude.
1: Incredible. And the final question we ask all of our guests, the age-old question I've shared you, I'm sure you've heard a hundred times. Do you believe that money can buy you happiness?
0: I actually don't think I've ever been asked that question. On should have a podcast before. Uh, I believe money can buy you experiences which can buy you happiness.
1: Beautiful. That's a great answer. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for coming in, man. That was a fire episode with a tons of takeaways. And uh, thank you for continuing to inspire us to go bigger with our dreams and goals so that we can give bigger with our profits. How can people find you and learn more about you?
0: Yeah man. Uh I'm like a 13 year old girl on Instagram so I'm on there every day. Uh Beardy Brandon, Beard with a Y. Uh, and my company is Open Door Capital. So it's ODC Fund. We put the D in fund.com. <laughs> That's not our slogan. That That's a it. terrible slogan actually. That's terrible. <laughs> that <was> awesome. Uh.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank thank you again for uh blessing us with your time coming in and providing our community with some great insights that was an awesome episode and we look forward to speaking with you again soon
0: yeah thanks man appreciate you guys
1: thank you for listening to the show if you know someone who's an example of go big to get big we would love if you could share this with them we want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can and it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends also if you enjoyed the show Take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.